Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Y'all are crazy. I love y'all. I don't even know what to say. I love y'all. Who's excited for the 18th? We're back at church. Who's excited? Hey, I'm excited. Um, We're finishing up this series, Family Matters, and we're doing a youth takeover for Legacy Sunday. If you didn't know, I'm preaching to you today off of Legacy. And uh, no matter if you're uh, five in this room or 50 or 100, (laughs) this is for you today. And uh, before I want to begin, I do want to give honor where honor is due. Um, We do have the best lead pastor. I'm biased. We're going to leave that out there. But we have the best lead pastors, I I mean, definitely in in the area, but I think in the state and the world. Um, I'll tell you this, I've been, listen, I've been to a lot of churches, and I've seen a lot of churches, especially during the COVID season where a lot of churches, like, could have folded and had fear. And you'll actually hear Caleb and Chrissy talk about having a little bit of fear when this first started, and I didn't see that for a minute. I I saw a church pivot, and I saw a church grow, and, uh, I mean, we're in the middle of a building process. Like, what we're sitting in right now wasn't done. This was empty. These walls weren't up. And uh, we still had to get funding, and we still had to build. And to say that they had, the, you know, for them to say we had fear, I mean, look at the walls, look at what we're sitting in. I mean, they pivoted, our church has grown, our teams are stronger, and I think that we got some of the best pastors in the world. So can we give it up for Caleb and Chrissy? It also makes it easier that they've become quickly some of Carly and I's best friends, and that, that makes it really easy. Um, but today I, I've written a message called Reverse the Curse, and I'm, I'm a sports fan. Any sports people in the house? Come on. If you're a sports person, you know that in, in all major sports, there's a celebrity somewhere that puts a curse on a team. You saw it with the Cubs, 76ers, and they're always telling Drake to reverse the curse for the 76ers. Has not happened yet. It's a great title. It doesn't mean anything right now, but it will. Uh, so write that down. And I'm going to treat you guys a little bit this morning like I'm talking to my U students. Is that cool? So first thing I would tell you is this. Go ahead and take notes. Right now, when you get up to heaven, there's like a Disney fast track to get right on the ride. When you get up to heaven, they, Jesus is going to ask you for these notes. If you don't have them, hey, no big deal. You're still going to get in, I hope. But, but there's a fast track line for you to get in if you take notes today. So let's, let's do that. And uh, before I begin today, uh, we're going to be reading through Genesis, and then we're going to be going through the life of Abraham. And uh, before I begin talking about legacy, I felt like it was important to break down some lies. You know, the enemy doesn't always give you obvious lies, right? He wants to give you the small ones, the intricate ones that don't really seem like lies at first. It's like sin. It seems good, but it's not good. And uh, some of the lies that we've believed about living a life of legacy, um, the first one is that we, we actually don't think about legacy until we're older in life. You know, our 70s, 80s, we retire. Then we start to really reflect and think, man, what's the legacy that I've left? And I actually believe that living a life of legacy is a compounding daily decision that you make. It's not about the end and the highs and the lows, but the things that you so choose to say yes to every single day of your life. And the next one, and I, I bet you a lot of you have heard this, but the promise is not for me, but for my children. Have you ever heard that? Some people begin to live lazy in their faith, and a lot of the times they're going to say the promise that God has is not for me, but for my children. How many know that when you were born and your, you know, God was creating in your mother's womb, he knew every hair on your head. He knew every need in your heart. He knew every day of your life. He predestined a plan for you. So God has a specific promise for you that, that it might live on to the other generations, but he's got a promise for you. And you see, the, the reason why the enemy wants us to believe these small lies is he knows he can't destroy your purpose. But he can do everything to distract you from your purpose. You know that sin you keep struggling with? Maybe last night, maybe before you got to church this morning, 
You know, you know that feeling like giving up? You know, constantly feeling like throwing the towel in? The enemy wants to remind you of all the things that you've done wrong. He wants to condemn you. He wants to give you guilt and shame. So he can distract you from living in your purpose. He uses these small tools to distract you because he knows he can't destroy the purpose that God has for you. But I've come with some good news today that before I begin, the life of Abraham, if there's anything that spoke to me, the most clear is this. And I think this is good news in 2020, that if you won't quit, you'll win. If you won't quit in your marriage, you'll win. If you won't quit in your career, you'll win. The enemy wants you to quit before you get to the promise because he's trying everything to distract you from your purpose. God does not want you to stop. I think there's a lot of people in 2020 that have felt like giving up. Anybody been there? A lot of people relationally difficult, felt like giving up. But if you won't quit today, you're going to win. Let's read what Abraham had to say, and let's, we're going to read a little bit about his life. But in Genesis 25, 8, it says this. It says this. Go into my own Bible. Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. Isn't that the most encouraging thing you've ever read in the Bible? But I want to focus on the last part. He died an old man and satisfied with life. How many in this room know that satisfaction at the end of your life won't be found in the car you drive, in the house that you live in, and what your bank account has, commas or not? Commas or not? I'm on the or not side. It won't be found in even the platforms or the positions that you've gotten yourselves into. It won't be found. Millennials hate this. It will not be found in your Instagram followers. It will not be found on your Twitter account. At the end of your life, all those things won't matter. Why? Because you can't bring them with you. Like there's things that we can't bring. And so if that's the truth, if legacy isn't about what I'm leaving, then I think this is the, the, the truest thing. And write this down. Legacy isn't about what you leave, but rather what you lead the next generation into. Wouldn't you rather, instead of leaving a large amount of money now with somebody in this room or family member, I got my, my grandparents right here and my wife's parents over here. Come on, get it up for them. <laughs> Pastor Louie right here, pastored for a long time, one of my biggest heroes in the faith. But, you know, at the end of our life, it's, it's not about what you leave behind. I'd love to have some stuff left behind for me, but what I would love even greater at the end of my life would be to lead my children to have healthy marriages. We'll be able to lead, you know why I do youth ministry, I want to lead them to not just knowing Jesus because of pizza parties and high school rallies, but I want to lead them to Jesus so that when they're young adults, when they're young married couples, when they're in their 30s and their 40s, that they're still following Jesus. So it tells me that legacy is not about what I'm going to leave you, but what I'm going to lead you into. And so I want to ask you today before I really begin, what are you leading the next generation to? What's the legacy in the story that you're leaving behind right now? Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you so much this morning, God, for your presence. I believe that you've already begun to work in this room and all those listening online. God, I pray every eye would be open to seeing you for who you really are. Every ear would be open to hearing you. And every heart would be ready to be transformed by the power and the message and the grace of Jesus. Lord, lastly, uh, we lift up the Seahawks to you, God. This is their year to win a Super Bowl. We love you and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, it's his plan, not mine. I didn't write it. Uh, legacy by definition, reeling it back in now. Legacy by definition means a situation that has occurred based off of past actions and decisions. Legacy is the accumulation of your past actions and decisions. For some people, that's great news. For some of you in here, you're sweating right now like, oh, no, I made some bad calls. That's going to be a part of my legacy. 
Well, I got a great story to encourage you because I was thinking about, like, the legacy that I'm leaving myself right now. And, you know, it is a little bit of a gut check when you think about that. It's like, man, there, there are some things that we all have to work on, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you uh, based off of somebody else's failure because it just seems like the right thing to do. Um, any, anybody in here, there, there's two types of people. There's the people that when you text people, the messages turn blue. You know what I'm talking about? But then there's other people when you text them, their messages turn green. You know what I'm saying? And you just immediately question their heart, start praying for them. But then when you see those messages later turn blue, you're like, man, they have met Jesus. Like they have landed, you know. I don't know. The Bible says it will be known by our fruit. And Apple is a great company. So, <laughs> And uh, there was, there was uh, Apple when it first started. It was 1976. Yeah, we all know um, Wozniak and Steve Jobs and these big names, right, these rich people. But there was a third person that was a part of the founding of Apple. Many people don't know him. His name was Ronald Wayne. Now, Ronald Wayne, we're going to talk about legacy here, but Ronald Wayne was a 10% owner in the company. Just 10%. 1976, he owned 10% of the company. Now, his only role for the company was he was going to go out and he was going to secure funding to purchase all the things that they needed to build computers. And when they did that, then he would be responsible for getting the contracts and sending everything out. Now, you know, at this time, Ronald Wayne was in his 40s. He had children, a nice home, steady income. I mean, he was living a pretty good life. And uh, this is just another thing, like a little side gig. You know what I mean? Like a little Uber right now. He was doing like a side gig, but it was Apple. It's like, how does that even? But anyways, so he had 10% stake in the company, and they get their first contract for $15,000. Now, at the, in 1976, I wasn't alive then, well before my years. 1976, $15,000 was a lot of money then. $15,000 is a lot of money now. And he, I mean, my first car wasn't even that much money. My car now is not even that much money. And, and he went out and he got the contract, but he later found out that who he sold the computers to, that $15,000 loan, was a, a, not a very good, reputable company. They had been delinquent on payments. They didn't always pay things back. And, you know, obviously in his 40s, he began to worry, like, man, my side gig is actually going to cost me something. And so in 1976, the same year he becomes a part owner of the company, he sells his stake, his 10%, back to Steve Jobs and Wozniak, his 10%, you know how much 10% of that company is worth in 1976? $800. Now, I don't know what it equates to today, but in 2016, that 10% stake in Apple was then worth $95 billion. $95 billion. It actually gets better. It actually gets better. Later, he's, he's a little short on money, so he finds the certificate of sale, the 10% stake back. He sells that on the Internet for $500. This is in the like, late 90s. It later circulates on eBay in the early 2000s and sells for $1.5 million. He, he, he actually, had, there's a quote from him that says he lives with no regrets. And I said, I'm sorry, man, I don't see that for you. You traded $95 billion for 800. But how many know the decisions that we make daily are what determine the path of our life? It's the daily compounding thing that whether he likes it or not, like, that's a part of the legacy that he's living. His grandchildren are like, Gramps, what were you thinking? I don't know what you were thinking when you did that. But the daily decisions that we make accumulate to tell the story of our life and the legacy that we live. And um, I've come with good news that even today, if you've, like Ronald Wayne, made some wrong decisions, walked down some wrong paths, burned some relationships, did some things that you're not proud of, and you're like, man, is this the story of my life? Is this how it's always going to be? The Bible actually tells us this is the day the Lord has made. That we can rejoice and be glad in today. That in him there's, there's newness of life. All things pass, old things pass away. All things can be made new. So even if you've walked in, you're like, man, I'm not satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied with the decisions I've made. I'm not satisfied with the story I'm telling. The good news is, is that today in his presence, all things can be made new. Do you believe that? 
So today, write this down. Your yes defines your legacy. Your yes defines your legacy. If your legacy and the accumulation of it, I would say, you know, a lot of people think it's like, man, at the end of my life, it's, I had this good job, I lived in this house, I was around these people, and they would think that's, that's legacy. But really, it's the thing that you so choose to say yes to every single day. When you're frustrated in a relationship, are you going to say yes to saying what you know you shouldn't, or are you going to say yes to biting your tongue? Are you going to say yes to choosing the right relationships over the ones you know you shouldn't be in? Are you going to say yes to the things that God's putting in your heart, or yes to the things that are comfortable and convenient? The things that you say yes to accumulate to make your, your legacy. And I can prove it because in Abraham's life, um, there's a thing called, and like reverse the curse, there's a generational, generational thing going on. Abraham's father, his name was Terah. Terah did not serve the Lord. He actually worshipped false gods. Now Terah's father, so Abraham's grandfather, did not follow Jesus. He, he actually worshipped false gods as well. There was two generations of wrong living. You know how much we read about Terah and his, his dad in the Bible? Pretty much nothing. You know how much we read about Abraham? Throughout the entire word. Not just the Old Testament, the New Testament. I mean, Father Abraham, we know. Come on, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. I'm going to stop because I'm not going to carry the note. But that, he, Father Abraham, his story is still living on. You know why? Because he had a decision. When God put a call on his life, he could have followed the generations before him and said, no, nah, like my dad didn't believe in you, my grandpa didn't believe in you, so I'm just going to continue to do what they were doing. But instead, when God pressed on his heart, he said yes, because your legacy is defined by your yes. And he said yes to God, and when that happened, it actually flipped the script, and he began to live a whole new life, one that's still being spoken about today. And maybe you've walked in, or maybe you're online right now, and you're like, man, I don't like the way 2020 has been. Some of my responses haven't been what I thought they would be. I've said some things, I've done some things that I shouldn't do, and I don't like the way the future looks right now. I don't like the relationships that I grew up watching. Maybe there's some people in here that, you know, parenting or having a marriage, it scares you. Because all that was modeled to you and all that you've seen is unhealthy ones. And you're like, it's just going to be like that. But that's not true. Because when you say yes to God, he changes everything, death to life. You get to transform, change over. And so you don't have to live the same narrative of what's been modeled to you. So today, you know what, one thing that I've heard a lot in 2020, you've probably heard this too, my cup is low. Anybody heard that? My cup has been so low this year. And, and I, I honestly love it because I feel the same thing. I think all of us in this room at some point said, man, my cup is low. But you know what that means? Jesus was actually very intentional about talking about this. He said that when you're, he doesn't want to put old wine or new wine into old wineskins, right? That means he doesn't want to put new freshness inside of you when you're living the same way, when you're thinking the same way. But if you've been poured out, this is a good opportunity to be poured back into and filled back up. Jesus wants to give you new hope and new joy and new peace. And so today, if you've walked in, you're like, man, my cup is low. You have an opportunity right now to worship and say, God, fill me up again. And that's what he'll do. Look at This is what we read in Genesis 15, 5. We're going to go here. Um, and I'm going to say that today, one thing that I've seen from Abraham is, Abraham gets called out, and he says yes to God. And in, the, in his yes to God, God meets him, and God walks him outside, and this is what happens. In Genesis 15, 5, they'll have it on the screen for us. Maybe not. I might not have given it to them. But Genesis 15, 5, it says this. God took Abraham outside, and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Now, I'm not sure you're catching this. Abraham was 75 years old. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about that profession. But at 75, probably time to retire that dream, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's probably time to not have children. And God walks him outside knowing the desire of his heart to have a child 
walks him outside, and he says, look up at the stars in the sky. He says, each one of those, they still can't outnumber all the children I'm going to give you. Other translations say, go pick up some sand, and all the sand on the seashore will not outnumber all the, sand, all the, all the children that I will give you. And Abraham's 75. He's like, God, you're whack. 70, like 75 years old, there's, like, I haven't even had one yet. Like, I don't know how long you plan on, like, making me live. Like, I know some of my brothers have been alive for a few hundred years, but, like, I'm, a, I'm 75 years old now. There's no way I'm going to have that many children. And how many know that God wasn't speaking naturally, but he was speaking supernaturally? And God doesn't want to just meet you in your natural because he wants to show you how good he is and how great he is. So he wants to exceed your expectation, not meet your expectation. And when he brings Abraham outside and he shows him this dream, you know why he got that? Abraham made a decision. So let me ask you today. Have you made the decision not just to follow but to trust? Because every time you make a decision, God supplies you with the vision. And if you're walking without vision right now, I wonder if it's because you haven't made the right decision to follow and to trust and to walk. You know, I love to tell people all the time, and I think this is like the best time to say it, is God brought Abraham outside and he told him to look up at the stars and look at the sand because it was crazy. It's like, God, there's no way you can do this. But, you know, that's what God does with us, right? He gives us visions that like, God, there's no way you can do this. This is way bigger and way greater than anything I could have ever achieved on my own. But just like that, God walks me outside, or maybe he, in my room, God reminds you sometimes, Sam, just close your eyes. Because when I look out in 2020, I'm not seeing the promise that God has given me. We all have a promise, and the things that God has shown me, like, God, I don't see it right now. And you know what he does? Just like he did with Abraham. He says, Sam, close your eyes. And when I do that, I begin to remind myself and reassess and see everything that he's promised me. And so you come in this room, and you're like, man, my cup is low. I'm in the middle of a process, and I don't see what God has promised me. Can I remind you? You just got to close your eyes. You just got to re reimagine and re-see again what he's promised, because if he promised it, he's going to fulfill it. If he said it, he'll finish it. Isaiah 55, 11 says that his word will not return void, but it will do exactly what he sent it to do. And so if he sent you his promise, that means he sent you his word. And that doesn't come back. That stays. But I'm asking you today, you've got to make a decision so you can get that vision. Maybe you need a vision today for that business that you've been just trying to start. A vision for that marriage that you've been hoping to have. You're like, man, I'm like 30 and I'm still single. That's all right. Get a vision. God's going to do the rest. But so oftentimes, that's how God does it, right? He gives us visions and he gives us dreams and they don't make sense. But God doesn't want to meet our expectation. How many know that he wants to exceed our expectation? Ephesians 3.20 says that, that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. I'm in a moment, I'm going to tell you my story. And see, if I would have asked God to meet me and just to meet my expectation, I wouldn't be here with you guys today. My expectation wasn't any of this. I didn't want, I didn't want to call. God, my, my expectation was just, God, take me out of this. But what I love to tell our youth students in the same token is that if God just changed everything around you, but he didn't change you, nothing would change. So instead of going after everybody else who you think is the problem, he goes after you and he transforms your heart. And all of a sudden, maybe nothing else changes, but you have, so everything changes. And so today, it's time to make a decision. So Abraham gets this call. He gets this vision. And the craziest thing happens. It says right after this, he falls on his face before God. And right after that, it says at age 75, Abraham began to live the call of God in his life. For the next, he would live till he was 175 years old. So for the next 100 years, it was recorded that he would walk in faith. This is what I want to tell you about that. Anytime you get vision, vision creates movement. How many knows that? We got some visionaries in the room today. Uh, we got some visionaries online. Vision creates movement. And a lot of the times, even when you get a vision, it doesn't always happen like that, does it? It takes some time, it takes some stewarding, it takes some trusting, it takes some following, it takes learning. 
And so at age 75, when Abraham receives the call, he begins to walk in faith. Now, he had a promise that he was going to have a child named Isaac. We all know this story. But that child wouldn't come for 25 years. And then he wouldn't die until he was 175. So for 25 years, he was going to have to trust in the process that God was going to take care of this. But nonetheless, because he had the vision, he just said, you know what? So many times, like Christians right now, we treat faith like this grandiose, huge thing. Like, oh, man, I got I to gotta get a mustard seed, man. I'm just going to go plant it. I'm going to see something crazy. Like, it's not always about that. You know what faith is? This couldn't come more timely. 2020. Here's faith. Ready? Here's Monday. Tuesday. It's, it's foot in front of the other, day after day, trusting and following. It's not about the biggest things. It's just about what Pastor Caleb says. Doing faith the right way is just about doing the thing that God's telling you to do the next day and the next thing. Just stay faithful with the one thing. And I know I butchered that, but just stay faithful with the one thing that God is asking you to do. And if it's true, and if that statement is true, then it tells me this. Because never has it been more true that we treat faith like this. I do, I'm getting promotions, my relationships are getting better, and we think faith is about promotion, right? It's all about getting better and growing up. And, but doesn't God's word say that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts? So if he's really above us, he doesn't see this, he sees this. So God sees faith that steps out, not steps up. And so if God gives you a vision, I want to ask you today, have you been taking the steps out? I know in 2020 it's been hard to give, and this is not a message asking you to give, but this is a message I want to hit your heart. If God's been asking you to give, have you been? Because every time you step out in obedience, God's blessing will meet you there. And a lot of you are like, man, I really want this. I really want my business to do well. I really want my marriage to be healed. Man, I really want my family to be saved. Man, I really need a little bit more because I barely have enough to make ends meet. And God's saying, will you just trust me enough to take the next step out? But we get so comfortable thinking, I don't know if that's what God wants. You know what maybe God wants? He doesn't want me to give. What he wants me to do is he wants me to get a promotion so I can earn more money, and then maybe I can give. But faith is always about steps out, not steps up. And maybe that's where you are. You find yourself, my cup is low, I'm stuck in a rut. What do I do now? Can I tell you that we're about to read about Abraham when he was in the middle of the process, that 25 years where nothing had changed for him, where he was believing for a promise that never came yet. But can I tell you this? If you're in the middle of a process today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand like I would at youth, but if you're in the middle of a process today, can I encourage you, don't pause there. Don't wait there. Don't do that because God wants you to take a step of faith out so he can meet you there because God doesn't want to meet your expectations. He wants to exceed your expectations, and all he's asking is for you to take a step of faith towards him. But look what happens. Abraham did this. Now, I want you to see this. Abraham's 75. He receives the promise. There's a 25-year span before he ever gets that promise fulfilled. 11 years in. Him and his wife, Sariah, later named Sarah, get so frustrated that they do what we all do. They took matters into their own hands. Yeah, you ever been there? God, you haven't done it yet, so I'm just going to go get that job. God, the God that, that, that girl is not coming to church yet. I'm going to hit her up on IG. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. God, it hasn't happened yet, so I'm, I'm going to make this happen on my own. Like so many of us do. Eleven years after he'd received the promise, Sarah's all, Abraham. Yo, be with my girl over here. Sends, his, sends Sarah's servant, and she says, hey, why don't you guys have a child, and we're going to love this child like it's our own. And they, you know what's funny? Is she actually tried to, to swap what God was going to give her and make it, and she thought it was better, but it wasn't better. It was actually worse, and she actually ended up saying, get rid of this child, I don't want it. And they actually ended up despising the child because they thought what they can get on their own would be better than what God would give them. But it's about not pausing in the process and continuing to, 
day after day, foot in front of the other, trusting God, whatever you have ahead, even though I can't see it, I'll close my eyes, I'll reimagine what you've told me, and day after day, I'll keep walking in faith, and whatever you have, I'm here for. Whatever you've got, I won't stop walking towards. And let me tell you, maybe that's you right now, you're in the middle of a process. We all are, in some way, but I feel like today, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, even before I got here, saying, Sam, you're going to say many words today, but I need you to listen while you're on stage, because there are some people in this room and online who are in the middle of a process that so desperately need to listen. So I want you to write these things down. Two things to not do when you're in the middle of a process. Number one, when you're disappointed, do not make permanent decisions. How many of y'all been there? Frustrated in that relationship, I'll find a new one. Frustrated with the job, I'll find a new one. But you know what's funny? Everywhere you go, there you are. Your situation changes, but you haven't. So don't make permanent decisions when you're disappointed. The second one, write this down. This is my favorite one for all the visionaries, for all the, the, the people out here aspiring, you know, to do great things for God. Delayed does not mean dead. Delayed does not mean dead. Can I tell you it? That if God promised it, he's going to fulfill it. And God's word doesn't return void, so what he said, it's going to happen. I love who God is. We see from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation, that our God is the beginning and the what? The alpha, the author, but he's not just that. Chrissy tried to beat me to it. He's not just the author and the finisher, but he's the perfecter. Do you know what that means? That means that God is so intricately involved with every single detail of your life that he wants you to see him working in it, and he doesn't want to show up in the beginning and the end. He wants to walk with you through every single step of the process because that is how good our God is. So he's not just the beginning and the end. He's the one working in the middle of your process. And today I've come to tell some people, if that's the truth, if that is the truth of the gospel, that our God reigns above all things, that he's the beginning and the end and the perfecter, if that is true, then we got to believe this. The process is where you build your legacy. I said earlier that it's the yes that defines your legacy, but it's the yeses in the middle of the process. So let me ask you today, what have you been saying yes to? What are the wrong things that you've been saying yes to? What are the right things that you've been saying yes to? Because the things that you say yes to define your legacy, but it's the one who's walking with you that wants to redefine what you're saying yes to. Because a lot of us think, seem to think that, man, I'm not saying yes to the wrong things, but it's maybe not the best thing. And when you have the one who wants to walk with you every single day, teaching you what the right things are, Proverbs 16.9 says that the Lord directs our steps. It says man's plan, man plans the way in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. I'm not saying you're, you're, the way you're walking is wrong, but I'm saying the way that he's calling you to walk is even better, even greater. And so the band can come back up. But maybe right here in 2020, maybe in the middle of your process, you've been frustrated, you've been disappointed, your cup has been low, your faith has never been weaker. Maybe in 2020 right now, you're like, I just, maybe even online, or maybe you walked in this room and you're like, I, I don't know. I'm here because I know I need to be. I'm watching, but this is like the last time I'm going to watch. And maybe that's where you find yourself right now. You're so frustrated, like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. God's going to do for you. Exactly what he did for Abraham. Let me show you to do with Abraham. Abraham, age 86, has a child with his wife's servant. Wrong, sinful, shouldn't have done it. But God in that moment, I imagine brings him, I mean the Bible says that he brings Abraham back outside. I imagine it's almost to the same spot. Hear me. After his sin, after his failures, 
after his mistakes, after his shortcomings, says, Abraham, come on outside. And he has him look up. And he says, the stars will not outnumber all the children I will give you. The sand will not outnumber all the children I will give you. And man, when I read that, I'm like, God, are you sure? Because I know we've all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We've all rocked the wrong way. We've all done things the way we shouldn't have done it. But God says, I'll still love you in spite of this. I love you in spite of your failure, in spite of your mistakes. And he brings Abraham back outside. And you know what this tells me? That God wants to graciously interrupt you in the middle of everything that you've done, in the middle of every place that you've been. And he wants to remind you that he is still working. No, no, you're not listening. Look at this building right now. In the middle of the coronavirus, this, these walls were not built out. And we had to trust God. You said that this building would be here. So that old Sacramento, I always say it could be new Sacramento because there will be new life here. And God, you said this was going to happen, but I don't know. We're not meeting. It's been seven months to the day almost. Uh, we got to get funding still. And can I tell you that even while we were worrying, God was still working. Even while we were waiting, God was still working. God's not afraid of what you have to bring to him. And so right now you might be in the middle of something. You're like, I don't know what to do right now. Can I remind you that God will graciously remind you in the middle of all that because he loves you so much and he's got such a good plan for you that he will draw you out even when you have walked away. And so this is what I believe. That it's when you surrender that God sets you apart. Abraham had to see that vision again. And he says that as immediately as that happens, he falls on his face before God. And when he surrendered, God set him free from all the sin, from the old way of living, from not living in faith. Many theologians will actually tell you that, they, that, he, that he wasn't living in faith for a few of those years. He wasn't really trusting God in those years. But yet God still met him. Because that's how much your father loves you. And when he surrendered, God set him apart and God set him free and God showed him what was ahead for him. And so right now, I believe that there's just a lot of people in this room that need to again reimagine all that God has for you again. That it's not just what you want, it's better than what you want. Look what Sarah says. 25 years go by, Isaac's born. Sarah says this, and many theologians will actually tell you that this was a response of sarcasm. But I don't read the sarcasm. I, I read genuine, true joy of what God had done. Sarah says this. She said, not only look what the Lord has done, but she said, I'm filled with laughter. And everybody who sees what God has done will laugh with me. And many people believe that she was being sarcastic, like look what God had done. But what I see is that she was so happy and so joyous and so full and so satisfied because what God had did was better than what she even expected. And God saved her and set her free. And what God will do for you is the same thing. This is why I do youth ministry. At the age of 17, in young adult ministry too, at the age of 17, I was, man, I was lost. I thought, man, I, I had seen some broken marriages before me. I had seen some bad relationships. I had seen parenting done the wrong way. And I believed the small lie that this is your story too. You ever, you ever heard that? Just that voice in your head, this is going to be your story too. Broken marriage. I was afraid of it. I married my beautiful wife for four years, married now. And I was so afraid. I was so afraid of getting married, so afraid of having children. And every time I will step onto a high school campus, every time I come to a youth rally, every time I'm at a youth night, every time I'm at a group, 
All I want to do is find the 17-year-old Sams who are ready to give up and say, my life is not worth it anymore. And the stories and the people. I got one of my old youth students right here sitting in the third row. I got youth students watching online. I got one of our youth students here on a camera. And if I had given up at 17, that this might not be possible today. And just like Abraham and Sarah, I'm deciding today that my legacy, if it's defined by yes, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it might be, I'm going to continue to say yes. And I feel like some people in this room today have got to make the decision that even when it's hard, even when you don't feel it, you got to continue to say yes today. Because we can't get to a spot where we rationalize how radical our God is. Do you understand the message that we believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave to set us free? We were once blind, but now we see. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were in the darkness, but now we're in the light. We got to believe the truth that Jesus has more for us. And even if you're in a process, he has a promise for you today. I'm almost done. I swear I'm ready to go. We're going to worship. You guys can stand up. But if living a life of legacy is going to work, listen, I want you to hear me on this. You got to understand something. I tell young adults this all the time. We treat a promised land like a place, like a platform, like followers, like a dollar amount. Can I tell you that job is not the promised land? Can I tell you that bank account number is not the promised land? The promised land on earth is not a thing. The promise of God is that we get to walk with the promise, and the promise's name is Jesus. And Jesus' name is joy, and his name is peace, and his name is hope. Enoch, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, never died. Man got sucked straight up into heaven with a vacuum. Lived 365 years. Do you know how many days are in a year? 360. It's not by chance that God used the number 365. God used that number as a symbol to show you that he wants to walk with you every single day of your life. Every day. Because a satisfied life is not measured by getting to a promised land. A satisfied life is measured by walking with the promise keeper. So come on, we're going to pray in this place. And I'm going to say this as I close. That Abraham's life didn't change and transform to live a life of legacy. He couldn't reverse the curse on his life until he fell before the Lord. And in 2020, there are a lot of people coming to God's hands, wanting and needing and need provision and need this and need that. But Abraham didn't do that. Abraham fell at his feet. There are too many people coming to the hands of God, but not the feet of God. And today, we get to reverse the curse. We get to change it. We get to flip the script and have a new legacy today. So I'm going to ask you in this place, we're going to worship. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go. God, I thank you right now. God, not by my words, but by your spirit that you're moving in this place. That, God, we trust that you will transform any life, no matter what it looks like. And today, somebody came in blind, but they're going to leave with sight. Somebody came in with sickness, but they're going to leave healed. Somebody came in dead, but they're going to leave whole. And today, God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for what you can do when we fall before you. We need you. We're nothing without you. We give you our hearts. And as we worship you right now, God, change us. God, transform us. I'm going to ask every hand be lifted in the room right now.
Oh, we want to walk with you every single day of our lives because we know it's the only way of life. It's the only way to have good satisfaction in life. And so we come before you. We lift our hands. We ask that you meet us. Lifting our hands, God, is an outward expression of what you're doing on the inside. Would you touch each hand, each heart, each home right now in the name of Jesus? Come on, let's worship. This word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.